Welcome to Over Dinner Tonight. I'm your host, Alexa Buckley. I sit down and dine with some of the world's most interesting and inspiring voices. And we have the kind of conversations that can only happen over the ritual of dinner. We are here on Kenmare Street, downtown in New York, and we're at Kamika, where we are having dinner with Jill and Sam tonight. The city is really bustling tonight. It's a beautiful spring night. It is truly the most beautiful spring city evening tonight. I am standing outside the restaurant looking at all of the New Yorkers passing by, and I spot our first guest of the evening. Jill Cardman. How perfect that we're standing on the street right here. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. Jill is the epitome of a multi-hyphenate. At her core, she is a New Yorker and a writer. She is also an actress, a producer, radio host, columnist, correspondent, and more. She wrote and starred in the comedy Odd Mom Out, all about navigating the hilarity of raising children on the Upper East Side. She is also a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books and a hilariously funny and entertaining dinner guest. Oh my God, I forgot glasses. This must be a really young clientele. I can read it for you. And the person so kindly offering to read the menu to Jill is none other than Samantha Berry. Samantha is the editor-in-chief of Glamour magazine. She grew up in Ireland and has had an incredible career in journalism. She's reported internationally from all corners of the world and produced for BBC World News in London before coming to the U.S. to run social media for CNN. So here's what you Perfect. got. Do you want me to tell you what's coming? Spicy olives, edamame, Great. green market salad, that. tuna tartare. Yes. Kind of whatever. Some I, 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 <laughs> yeah. Trouble carbonara, yes. Yeah. I could eat human flesh. And though human flesh is decidedly not on the menu tonight, everything else at this restaurant is delicious. Kimika is known for a Japanese take on Italian food. Some of the highlights are the carbonara with soba noodles, the bronzino, and maybe the best tuna tartare I have ever had. So they hear us clinking around and eating. It's fine. Oh yeah, and it's you can't even. There's okay. no chewing. You can't hear any chewing. Okay, oh. good. How do they I not get the be, chewing? Like, I honestly don't chewing. know. It's like sorcery. Hey, what are you guys getting to drink? Because I need Let's something see. put into my neck veins like, right would, this second. I've had a really long fucking day. Oh, are we allowed to curse? Yes. Okay, that's okay. great. I want something refreshing and delicious. I think I'm like a dirty margarita bitch these days. I love red wine. It's yeah, all I drink. I don't touch white wine. I don't touch. But apparently the sugar will like keep you up and wake your shit up and as you're going through oh, the change. No. And I wake up in like a gel-shaped sweat stain already. <laughs> and so I'm trying to like move into the tequila world. I'm in the tequila world, so I will join you with that tonight. Really? Just, I never get hungover. Yeah, I I well, I've never had a hangover anyway. With, in your, in, your in whole my life? whole life, I'm 48. Yeah. You've never I've had I've never had a hangover. I don't know what that is. Um, and do you only have one much. drink? Or do you have two no, drinks? No, I have two. Yeah. Oh, Hi, thank you. I have more on my Irish. <laughs> um, so how did the two of you meet? 
I, think, I feel like a decade at least. I yeah, other. I think I must have met you. I do, I've been in New York nine years. I think I met you my first year. I think so. Yeah. Okay, I've been in New York nine years too, yeah. and I'm wondering from the real New Yorker at the table, at what point are seven. we considered seven? Seven years. Oh, so we're New Yorkers. Now. Also, and if you were here for COVID, you totally get. Yeah, I, then you, you got a pass. Up. You like get a totally pass. I was, I was here for yeah. COVID okay. too. You came to cover the election. I came over in 2014 to, for it was a new role, head of social media. So it was like global head of social media. I'd done TV in London for years, produced. I'd started in radio, so I love my I love me some audio. Um, and uh, then I moved over, and there was this new role, head of social media, and the biggest part of the job was 2016 election. So I interviewed every candidate. Interviewed Donald Trump in a, in a bathroom in Miami. It's oh the only place God. we could find. My mom thinks it's Madame Tussauds <laughs> oh when she looks at the photo. You think about that race, right? Especially if you think about the start of that race, where we had to like split the the Republicans into two nights, there were so many of them. Right. And even the Dems, I, I interviewed Bernie and Hillary and wow. Martin O'Malley, and there were still five or six Dems in the race at that stage. So like when you think about how many people were... How going, unexpected the outcome going, was. Oh, I can't. So to come to the US at that time yeah. for this purpose must have been really... Like, what were you most surprised by? Being on the election trip, but also just being in the US. New York is very different to the US. And I was very lucky at CNN where in those, like, that year, of t especially 2015 and 2016, I got to see a lot of the country. Mm. Um, but New York is the place of movies, of dreams, of like, you know, I, when Harry Met Sally was like my favorite movie, you'd be walking and you're just walking around and it's amazing. I think what, there's a couple of things that surprised me. I was surprised at how big of an issue race was in America, because I think you have, if you're learning in the history books in Europe of like, how, you know, the civil rights movement and what happens in the US and you come here and I think at that time in particular and still today, it was, it, it surprised me how divided the US still was and how race was still such an issue. I was not surprised but kind of horrified by the gun violence because every, I got so used to being in the CNN newsroom and it, it just became so automatic. Mm. There's a shooting, there's a school shooting, there's a campus shooting, there's whatever. And you, everybody went into automatic drive. And it was just, I'd never had that at the BBC. I'd never, I started in newsrooms in Ireland, just a night. When Dunblane happened, like, yeah. they completely changed the laws overnight. Totally. So they, they were things that surprised me, but um, I mean, I thought I'd be here for a year. And it's, I was going to say, why? Nine years later. Why did you stay? Such a constant <laughs> New Yorker. I fell. It took. I, I actually fell in love with the city during COVID. I got really? a, a New York tattoo um, in, in 2020. What does it say? It's just the skyline, which oh, is it's like. Oh, so cool. Um, and so for me, I had I held on to being so in love with London for so long, and being here and being like, oh, I'll be here for a year, and then signing, re-signing a contract with CNN, and then leaving CNN to go to Glamour, and then you turn around and you're here for five years. But it was, I think, on my sixth year, COVID happened and I did in this weird and wonderful way kind of fell in love with the city mm. when it shut down totally. yeah oh yum here are now I'm kind of jealous of your margarita you. margaritas right, you yours looks very you know, if I don't like this I might I, I'm gonna you try can, you can it get is that one. warm thank you oh it's actually quite nice mm. is it cold cheers. cheers cheers it's cold yeah thank you both like, for doing thank this you. my flowers so this is so much fun I love a sour do you want to try it it's just really good. What's in it? So it's whiskey, egg white. It's usually it's egg I've white makes it frosty. Whiskey. Oh, mm -hmm. really? This is my first time. It's fine. You got mm -hmm. this. This is huge. 
<laughs> okay, wait. I think I'm not a Terrible. hard alcohol person. I'm usually like not. Just not like is there cinnamon dessert. on it? They're spicy. Oh, that's delicious. Oh, whiskey nice. sour. Yeah. That's like a famous sort of drink. Limey. Yeah. It's really nice. I might coach you my greed in a while, though. Yeah. We give this a little it's bit of It's good. Oh, wow. Oh, damn. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Holy. It's one of paper here, so. Chef recommend you to boost everything and make a little tiny hand roll out of it. So you have oh, a cucumbers, uh, black tobacco, scallions, ikura, puff rice, microwaves, and uh, washed onions. This is the uh, edamame. We oh, use the yeah. salt. Yum, oh, edamame, edamame. tuna tartare. Diving spicy olives. Spicy olives. I love Thank you. Olives. I love olives too. Apparently, if you're in a relationship, only one person can I like heard this. Olives. I think I saw it in How I Met Your Mother as well. It's like oh, the olive she... theory. It's really? Great. Well, yeah. I happen to love olives as my partner, so we, named, oh. so we named our dog. That's so funny. That's my niece's name. Oh, really? I yeah. Just love it. Cutest name. I love these delicious things. I'm going to take pictures of food because I'm one of those weirdos. Yes. Also, please. my family WhatsApp, we often send just photos of food. This is the kapachi. It is a baby yellowtail wrapped in bread with ponzu sauce, mm. topped with strand of peppers, and a bit of lemon jelly. Oh, it looks so good. This is one beautiful. Thank you. Can I ask you, actually, yes. just because we're eating, can I, can I get a red wine? Is that okay? Like a full body red wine? Absolutely. Perfect. I like a cocktail, but like when I'm eating, I want to have a red wine. No, I, I know. That. You know. I'll definitely switch yeah. when, we, like, when we ramp shit up. So the truffle carbonara. Oh my god, I know, right? <laughs> This is my favorite kind of meal where you just kind of taste I everything. I love it. Just yeah, a little bit of everything. Cornucopia. Yeah. Total cornucopes. Cornucopes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, actually, I'm curious to start. Do you have any traditions, or did you growing up over dinner? So I feel like the only tradition we had, I would say, Sunday roast is important in Ireland. Sunday roast is like dinner brunch. in the middle of the day on Sunday, and you have wine. And you can be home in bed by nine o'clock and you've Ooh, had a whole situation. Too funny. No, people love it. And so I have to tell Alexa, as Sam knows, Harry and I became Irish during the pandemic. Well, we filed after Trump's inauguration the week of, and no it came way. through in August. He has um, an office there, my husband. Is and he we, Irish? Nope. He just <laughs> yeah, has business. an office there. They, he has a tech company and they really want technology in Ireland. And so if you have an office there with more than 30 people, you can file for citizenship. So, so we did, did that and Sorry. it came through. And so now we have permanent green cards. Yeah. I'm going to give you an Irish name. Like, you must be I know, like, you got to like Killian O'Cargaman. No, I need to give you like a proper like Maraid. I loved when Obama went to Dublin. He was like, I have to add an apostrophe. Yeah. So Harry goes four times a year. The kids and I have to go once a year. That but is so we, fun. And if you Trump think of wins this? again, you're moving. Um, we're moving for like a sabbatical, yeah. family yeah. sabbatical. Yeah. Please don't. I can't. I just. I, can't I know. I can't even think about it because yeah. I'll lose my appetite for this yeah. beautiful food. But because um, it's like too disturbing. But yeah. So I love Ireland so much. But I've never been to Cork, and yeah, Sam is you. wants to remedy yeah. this situation. I've never been to Ireland. See, also, I have to say, as we're having dinner. Food in Ireland, totally underrated on the global stage, and it's actually spectacular. Like it's oh, real the best Indian food I've ever yeah. had is so good. Indian food in Ireland. Yeah, it's so good. And also called. like the farm to table stuff, like the food is so fresh. I'm Ooh. not even, we talked about this earlier, a big seafood person. Mm -hmm. The one place I'll eat seafood is Ireland. It's just like spectacular. Everything's fresh on We eat not so here. well there. I love the food. Kakaliki pie. Oh. We mm. had the best, we had Thanksgiving dinner in Ireland. So I want, the kids were like, what do you mean we're not having turkey? Meanwhile, like, who the fuck likes turkey? It's like dry and you it's get tryptophan. 
So I tried to find something like poultry-esque. And this, I found this cockaliki pie that's mm. basically a chicken pot pie with grilled onions in it, Yum. red wine, and like a croissant, like pastry top. It was orgasmatron. Like the kids shat. <laughs> They're like, I never want boring fucking turkey again. They no. just want cockaliki pie. The sides are the best part of Thanksgiving. Like turkey is sort of Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from Philadelphia. Okay, Philly. Um, Philly girl. Eagles girl. Eagles girl. Taylor Swift. Go Taylor Swift. Go take take. Huge for us. Gritty. Gritty. All yeah. I know is gritty. I'm more of a Eagles girl. Not guy, sports person. Not a huge sports person. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not curious either. from you, the born and bred, tried and true New Yorker. I feel like what I love about New York is that we all kind of have our own relationship with it. You know, it's sort of this third character and this third actor in our lives. I feel like I do definitely. And so I'm curious if you could describe sort of what it is that you love most about the city. I mean, New York is my lung. Like, if I had to leave, I think I would wither on the bun. After 9-11, um, they were like mailing people anthrax and shit. People were, I remember people saying like, I don't think I want to stay here. I don't think it's safe. I, don't, I was like, dude, I'd rather die of anthrax than die of boredom. Like, I can't fucking live anywhere else. I don't know how to drive. I am completely dependent on it. And my husband, on our first date, he was like, yeah, I don't know if I could ever raise kids in New York. And I, oh, and I was just like, check please, like taxi. There was no Uber yet, but I was like, I was like halfway onto the street to hail a cab. And he was like, no, wait. And I was like, well, I'm not raising kids anywhere else. So like, I don't want to, let's not like waste each other's time, but he totally backpedaled. And now he's been here for 23 years and loves it and couldn't live anywhere else. But. When we first met, he just thought he was passing through, kind of, mm -hmm. and I feel like I showed him. I mean, New York is, we're in a menage a trois with New York in our marriage, because I love my husband. I have the, Sam knows him, he's the sweetest, best guy. I really think we have like an amazing marriage and relationship because of New wow. York. We use New York, like we use New York in our marriage. We go to restaurants and theater and like, a burlesque show and take crazy long walks and New York like fortifies our marriage. If we were sitting in Idaho somewhere, I don't, I think I would die of boredom and I couldn't stay, I, we would like kill each other. What's like, that my amazing holiday party that I went to one time that you guys host in that like, where there's always dancing, it starts, what is it? My prom you mean? No, it wasn't prom, it was you like. Host prom? Yeah, so I never had a prom and it's like a rite of passage in America. It, it really is. And so um, we threw a prom in, at the, the Brooklyn at a catering hall where all your dreams come true. The Grand Prospect Hall. So we threw a prom and the, the, this mom in our kids' class was an event planner and she's like, okay, we're gonna, be, we're gonna make it really chic. We're gonna like put this big thing and go, I'm gonna stop you right there. Don't tacky. say the word chic. I want tacky fucking yes. Long Island vomited yeah. on it. I want a trellis with like a fake waterfall. I want garbage. Yes. Every, everyone got a corsage when they walked no. in. Oh, that's the like best. It was the, and it was 80s prom. So oh, it was like yeah. the tackiest, most vile fabulosity. Um, what wow. was your dress? My dress was Molly Ringwald's dress oh. from Pretty in Pink. I had Dang. it copied thread for thread. Amazing. Yeah. I don't remember which party. I think it was around the holiday time. I do remember going downstairs and you guys were hosting a table. There was a lot of decorations and then everybody ended up on a weird looking dance floor. That sounds like I, many I, it was parties something you were, I know. We you, throw a lot of strange mm. And it was like a wine tasting, but we yes, weren't yes, tasting, yes. we were just drinking. Mm -hmm. The best kind. Yeah. I love red wine. I mean, that's like really my weakness. That's the one 
I love it. Bummer with menopause. You guys are younger, but they say they meaning like all the golden girls that I hang out with. Love. They're like, you have to stop. You have to transition into tequila. Like just how did, how is your tequila era going? Well, it's just started. I really don't like hard alcohol. I just like red wine. Um, I'm okay. like staring jealously at Samantha's I glass. Like I'm, go gonna, I'm gonna maybe yeah, switch, but I, I, I'm just trying to like it because I do like a cocktail at the end of the day. Like I'm yeah. never gonna I, be a teetotaler, but I don't drink that much, but I like hashtag taking the edge off. <laughs> Is there something about New York that you love the most now that you've lived here for nine years? Okay, one, there's a couple of things that I love. I walk everywhere. Like yeah. you talked about not having a license. Like I'm at 20,000 steps a day. Like I walk to work in World Trade Center. A lot of my friends are downtown. So walking everywhere is a joy for me in New York. I love eating and drinking. I love like, I was on, literally as I was walking in here, I was on the phone to some of my girlfriends because Summer Friday kicks off. The, and I was just like, can we get, who, who's on for a late lunch in like Dante or something? And they're like, it's, luxurious, it's, a late lunch. it's a Tuesday. I think the spontaneity of the city, I think, I, you know, I grew up in Cork. In Dublin, people often live for the weekend. So like, mm. they'll, like they'll be at home mm -hmm. Monday to Friday and they will, they'll like go crazy on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. In London, it's so spread out. You've got to plan things weeks in advance if you're going to see somebody, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to go for this side. The spontaneity of New York, the weekday activity of yes. New York, I absolutely adore. Like, mm -hmm. I love staying in on a Friday night because I've gone Me out too. Tuesday, Me Wednesday, too. Thursday. I'm home I'm every like, Friday night. Yeah, yes. this is great. I'll stay in. One of my best friends just got engaged, and within 30 minutes, there was 30 of us had like oh, congregated amazing. on a place. Like, I that love would, that. there's no other city in the world that that would happen. No, you know what I mean? That's right. This is really good tuna, by the way. I don't know if you guys like tuna. I'm just so happy with I'm that burrata. I could eat that. human flesh with yeah. burrata. <laughs> okay, good. First of all, Odd Mom Out is one of my favorite shows. Oh my gosh, thank you. Of all time. It is. Was there a singular moment on the Upper East Side where you were like, oh, this needs to be a television show? Actually, it was my husband. Well, first it was a book, Momzilla's. Yes, yes. It was my husband's idea because I came home one day and I was on like that horrible Godfather day of my period where there's like okay. chunks. Like oh. it was like smuck <laughs> Smucker's jelly. You're like, I'm eating. Yeah, yeah. Smucker's um, jelly. Oh no, it's like Flag of Japan was my bed sheet. And I came home, I was like crying for no reason basically. My oh, husband gosh, came yes. home and was like, what's wrong? And I said, the moms were like mean to me in ballet. I was like a slob. I was 28. I couldn't afford, like I was dressed in, like Urban Outfitters vomited on me. And all these moms were decked out and had the nanny standing by in the zip zip uniform. And he's like, you have to write a book about this world that you're in with all these moms who, you know, I'd be like, oh, I like your shirt. And they'd just be like, Valentino. Oh, and So you're just, 28 on the Upper East Side in this world. And these moms were all like best friends. Like they all took Lamas together. It just felt like it was high school all over again or like middle school. They yeah, were all packs and I was kind of alone all the time. My five bridesmaids in my wedding are still my five mm -hmm. best friends. But at that time they were like blowing bartenders at Bungalow <laughs> 8 and like dancing on tables. Like I was the only one who's sitting at three in the morning feeding Shut a baby. <laughs> so I was like super fucking lonely. And Harry was working till, I want to say like 10 o'clock every night. He had, mm. he had just started his company. So mm. I was just like alone all the time. Mm. 
But the benefit of that was that I got to collect a lot of material, and then I eventually like emotional bulimia it out into this book, and then it became the show. But it's so relatable. I had a dinner last night in the Upper East Side, and I somehow managed to be on a dinner with three moms. I am single, not a mom that all have kids in the same school. And there was a language I didn't even understand. Mm, yeah, like a lexicon. It was Spence and Chost and 12-year-olds getting cancelled. And I was like, what is happening? What is yeah, happening? It's like a nightmare. But I didn't really engage in it because I think a lot of that stuff... Yeah. First of all, I had no friends who are moms. My friends were all like in a different place. Bungalow it. And like, I'm sorry you had to endure that because that sounds... I would literally like rather eat my spleen with sriracha sauce than sit like through a conversation like that. I didn't realize 12 year olds could be canceled, but it turns out they can. Oh yeah. Yeah, Her 12 year olds sure. can be canceled. How long after you wrote Momzilla's did you make it into a show and act in such a... So funny you ask. So all my books were optioned and none were made, none. And NBC bought Momzilla's and then I had a meeting with Andy Cohen. He wanted to talk about me being a reality housewife. Oh my God, no shut. way. New York. And I said, um, so literally I'd rather slide down a slide of razor blades naked and land in a pool of vodka. Also, Jill, um, you come up with these lines would, so well. Uh, I would obsess over you in a Bravo There's and, zero and chance. They would all I know, hate but me. Jill, I feel like you. you should have your own spin-off Bravo franchise. So then he said, what if we kind of came up with our own like Jill's World reality show Love. that was like more comedic Fun. or whatever. And I was like, Still no, I can't have a thing up my ass. And Laura Spots, who was his executive, she was head of development at Bravo. I think she was sort of like intrigued that I was saying no to it. Cause she's like, people would kill for yeah. this. Like people are yes. auditioning and killing. I was like, auditioning? I, not me. Like I can't have a camera at my sphincter. I have three small children and a <laughs> husband. And like, I really honestly, emotionally at that point felt like I was kind of on the other side of it, but yeah. I had many years where I felt like I was drowning in my life, which yeah. sounds very spoiled because like I never had wolves at the door and I had food at the table, but like I had three kids in four years yeah. and no nanny, no baby nurse. I had a housekeeper, which is more than most people yeah. have, but I was just like trying to work. I wrote my books while they were napping. It was very difficult. Yeah. I could barely catch my breath. And um, and then I said, listen, I wrote this book. You guys own it. I'm a writer. Can't you just Make let me write this show? It. it was really them who said, like, well, we want to see you on screen the way you tell the stories. And so wow. they, it was really Laura Spots. I mean, Laura and Andy, too. Andy has always been amazing. But Laura Spots was like, I want you to be Larry David on the Upper East Side. Oh and so what a great runway to get like it was yeah, we did on the Upper East Side. That was like a little Lara spots. Like yeah. she had the vision for the show. And then she eventually became the showrunner and like I really owe her everything and Andy. But that was really hairy putting the bee in my bonnet about it's... writing about the world. And my agent at the time was like, what do you want to write about moms for? It's such a niche. I was oh. like, um it's a really big fucking niche. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, the commentary is so good. And also it's sort of timeless. Like, you know, mm. watching it right now and it's eight years ago? Seven yeah, years ago? 2016. Yeah. You talked a little bit about this, you were 40 when you started in the show, mm -hmm. this idea of kind of, I think also inherent to women feeling like after your 20s, like we're done, you know, there's no second, third, fourth act. And um, I've heard you talk about this idea of no, like it's never too late. And yes, I think in this, 
kind of world, especially with the level of comparison on social media and kind of feeling like, oh, I couldn't because I'm not X fill in the blank. It's so important, I think, to hear the stories of women who decided to do something at the age of you fill it in whenever. So I'm curious what that experience was like for you acting for the first time at 40. I mean, you'd acted before, but having your own TV show and... Yeah, I loved having like an age 40 kind of shaking of the Etch-a-Sketch. I, my kids were a little older. I felt like I got my life back. They were all in grade school and I just, I like defibrillated my, my marriage, my life. I felt like I just decided I wasn't going to put myself out to pasture because mm. I just, that was, that was a scary moment for me in my mid thirties where I, I, even though I was so hashtag blast, <laughs> I felt like, oh, is this all there is, you mm. know? And I started working in an ad agency. I was copywriting for like maxi pads and tampons because mm. the guys were doing all the like sexier things yeah. and they were like, put her on this. Mm. And I got paid well, but mm -hmm. I definitely was not psyched to be a copywriter after writing 10 books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I needed the money and I wanted to sort of be busier than I was. But sometimes when you go off your road, like your big career path that you envision yourself, you might take a step back, but it's that little, that little like path in the woods that t that puts you in where you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So when I was at Ogilvy, I met these producers who said, you should be writing for TV, you should be writing a show. And so they they sold Odd Mom Out. And I was literally writing Poise commercials when you, mm. like I was trying to do this campaign, you're in the clear, like you're in. Oh my God, Because <laughs> like with all these people in a comedy club, like laughing and peeing and like sneezing and peeing. And... You've had also a big transition from yeah. CNN it was, it was so interesting as well. Like I'm 41 now, I don't think I have ever I have never been happier, more successful, felt sexier, felt more accomplished. I have had a different trajectory. I'm, you know, I've dated, I've been in serious relationships. I haven't had kids. I think I have second wife energy, stepmom energy is tr <laughs> truly how, how I was about it. Yeah, I'm a really good aunt. Yeah, uh, yeah, second wife energy. But I do feel like it, my 40s have been way better, and I'm 41, I'm a year into it better than You're the others. You're 40 wonderful. Yeah, How, 40 wonderful. Were the 30s better than 20s, 40s better than yes. 30s? Yes. 30s were better than 20s, but I think the, le the leap between 30s and 40s surprised me. Really? Surprised me on how much I enjoyed it. And I did have late 30s. I had spent my whole career in like breaking news and journalism, and I had like done a master's in journalism and spent, you know, two years living in Papua New Guinea and wow. six months in Pakistan and been like basically running around danger zones like doing reporting wow. then worked in a newsroom in London BBC moved over to work at CNN and then there was a total about face when I got named editor-in-chief of Glamour I understood it a lot of the media world didn't and we're like wait 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 a second why is you this you felt like people didn't understand totally no. I think there was a couple of things I don't think First of all, they were like, who? And second of all, it, you know, it was a coveted role, right? There's only ever been seven editors-in-chiefs at, at Glamour, and, and it is a, a large women's title with a lot of influence. And there had been, before my time, this really clear trajectory, right? You worked in publishing, you started in a fashion closet, or you started as an assistant editor, and you worked your way up and it was like all of these people yes. in publishing that worked their way up to editor-in-chief. It has totally changed now. They never picked unexpected editor. Editor-in-chiefs didn't come from Netflix or 
the world of news or they came from people that had been in publishing houses like Condé Nast or Hearst from the beginning from the beginning yeah and so that was one of the things also I think I'm Irish so I was like wait who and why is she coming from news for me I understood it I, it was like taking all the storytelling I had learned and putting it to uh, the world of publishing it was not easy the first 18 months I uh, I mean <laughs> I found it quite difficult I'm, I'm going to be honest with you I found it so intimidating the role intimidating kind of based on the outside world's feedback or just Both. Yeah. internal external and what do you do in that moment because like that is terrifying to say like oh i'm up against a huge role but i'm yeah. also up against the rest of the world doubting me or not knowing what my name is that's the shit that feeds me mm. like i love when people don't think i'm gonna get it right and that is like if, if you if i go in with like the favorite i'm like no 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 i like give me some underdog status like because mm-hmm. that's when i'm gonna prove my worth that is like so I think the feeling of the like, oh no, this is going to be a fucking disaster. Or like, she's not going to know what. And I didn't, I honestly didn't know what I was doing the first, like I would say six months at least. I got to know it and now I'm really good at my job. And I have total confidence in saying that. But the fact that people doubted me was the driving force for a lot of that first year. For that first 18 months where it was like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll prove them wrong. I'm shocked by that. Really? I love it. It's firing me up. (laughs) I think as a total outsider, but who consumes magazines like a fever, like I I, like stick them in my vein. I was just at the newsstand around the corner. I love magazines. I feel like CNN and your pedigree is so above someone who is packing trunks for the shoot. Like you would come from an intellectual place. That's so much more interesting as a reader. And I consume, like, I've been, since you even became editor-in-chief, I've been devouring. I just feel like you've killed it. That makes me really happy to hear. Honestly, Jill, I, I was like the first 12 months, I remember we go home from work and I'd be like, <laughs> and I would have a call with my best I friend. I love a good cry. I remember calling my agent one time. I was just like having a cry going, I just, he's like, you are doing a great job. I was like, I just, I don't You okay. killed it from right from the starting line. You totally like leapfrogged over them. Yeah coming from a place of power and living abroad and yeah. all over the world. Like, that's so much more interesting. I'm shocked. I'm walking around all peacocking, but like, I honestly, you Jill, I have to I say, never understand imposter not, syndrome. I don't understand imposter syndrome because I, you and I have, and I'm sure you have as well. I have sat across from mediocre people in phenomenal jobs and I'm just so surprised and I'm like wow okay okay when they're boring this was really good right everything so only good. on the second course as well like so why am I an animal yeah <laughs> I'm an animal <laughs> and well it's funny because I think imposter syndrome is, goes two ways like I don't have imposter syndrome in that setting right where you're like oh yeah. I know I can do the yeah. job but there is imposter syndrome on the flip side where it's like nobody else believes my seat here at this table. And that's, I think, what you were sort of referring you were up against. And I'm curious, like, what did you do for yourself in that first year? Okay, there was a couple of things. Um, Irish people are very self-deprecating and we're self-deprecating about everything. Like, we will take the total piss out of ourselves. And I realized pretty fucking quickly that I could not be self-deprecating about myself in a professional sense. So I stopped the self-deprecation, which I think works in certain cultures, does not work in America. Not for a woman. Not for somebody that's trying to prove their worth. Maybe it works for a white guy. Like, oh wow. Here we are. This is the broccolini. Yum, broccolini. This is the lamb chicken. Honestly, one of the best. Uh, It is with shield corn beef vinegar sauce on bottom. Chicken. Mm. We love a brick chicken. And the grilled bronzino. Grilled bronzino. Thank you so much. 
It's interesting you say that about being self-deprecating because it's so endearing and charming to me, but I see what you're I saying as a woman. I think you can use humor. Yes, okay. You can use humor, but if self-deprecation is the first thing somebody hears about you, that's their first impression. If you're saying, I'm not really that good at this, or Jesus, I'm a bit shit. If you're walking into a room and that's how, what you're projecting, even if it's done totally. through the lens of humor, that's the first thing. I was like, I continue to be self-deprecating about my personal life and my family life, but I stopped being self-deprecating about my professional life. I just stopped it. So I was like, stopped it dead because like, I'm, the, really I'm the first line of defense when it comes to narrating my own career. The yes. second thing I did was, and I still struggle with this to this day, is I try to take the qualifiers out of my language, both in person and in email. I was just thinking this, or do you know what I mean? I say, do you know what I mean all the time? Yeah, of course they fucking know what you mean. You, you just explained it. Like women in particular are absolute I'm devils for this. Is to like, just think about all the qualifiers you use every day. Do you know what I mean? Is that okay? What do you think? Or I was just thinking. What no, do you think about? Yeah, I was just try? thinking this, take that out. And usually, honestly, if you're writing that email, if you're doing that presentation, you are the expert. Like they, like. Totally. That's so totally. smart. I mean, it's powerful because I think, oh, yum. What is this? You want a serving you Yes. Sure, what is this? Ooh, peach. Peach. Yum. Is this going to be brave enough to cut into the fish? Yum. This is so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So after year one, you got through the initial phase of something that I think, I mean, it's so interesting that you say none of us would believe, like, would have ever expected. What are the stories you're most eager to tell? So, every year is Women of the Year. Oh, it's like my app. I love it so much. It's, it's, for me, it's like the culmination of storytelling meets broadcast event meets, you know, accolades meets highlighting stories of women that you do and don't know. I get a thrill out of it. Now, we're deep in planning this year already. So, that's my Everest every year. And I love it. And I love it. And I come away from it so proud of like, we, you know, honor six plus women. Mm -hmm. We spend a long time picking who those women are. How are we gonna shoot them? How are we gonna tell the story? So that I love. At the moment, we're doing a lot of advocacy around paid leave in America. And so that, that for me is like, I feel like I'm a little bit back in a newsroom. I was gonna say, and you're sort yeah. of blending. It's now. kind of blending that world of like, newsroom, like hard news, but through the lens of the power of something like Glamour. And so for that for us is, for those listening, the US is one of six countries in the world that doesn't have paid leave. The others are like Micronesia, Tonga, Papua New Guinea. <laughs> North Korea that. has 240 days of paid leave and we have none. North Korea? Yeah, we at one stage we were looking at like potentially an advertising campaign, which was like, have your baby in North Korea. <laughs> that is so I mean, funny. because like it's better, like not for a lot of things, but it's better it for paid better leave. For um, and so the executive editor at Glamour and Natasha is amazing and she, She's a mom of two, and she came into my office a couple of times. She's like, we need to do this story, we need to do the story. And I really pushed her, and I was like, well, how can we do this story? Does it doesn't feel like we're doing it for a magazine in the 90s. Like, mm -hmm. And she was like, okay. And we started following the lives of um, eight women in America in the 28 postpartum days. And we got WhatsApp messages and audio calls and pictures. Wow. And, and we had these women, one of the women went back to work within six days of giving birth. No. <gasps> six days which a quarter of women in America go back to work within two weeks because they do not have access to any kind of money or paid leave. And that is... You're kidding. Like, 
They're bleeding. Quarter They're, of a woman. In America, go back to work within two weeks. And that is, I mean, it is a horrific state of affairs. So we just went to DC recently. That is the thing I'm really proud of. Like, you know, we were at the Capitol. You were at the White House. We were at the White House. It's like, use the power of storytelling. We brought the women, we brought the babies. We've been following these babies for a year and there were, some of them were turning one so when we sat down with Chuck Schumer and Representative wow. Delora. That's the stuff I'm really proud of. Yes. And I think that is, for me, is like the power of like the storytelling. Yes in a real way of advocacy, so... Do you, and if there has been such a, a sea change in these publications, and, and, and yeah. kind of understandably, as the world has changed, and in so many ways, your background is, like, the most suited to take on the new world of what these publications are, because it's a blend. It's no longer kind of the print fashion magazine. It's, it's also interesting as well, because we're doing a book around the history of glamour, and I think sometimes women's titles, women's shows, women's anything, entertainment is so underestimated in its impact, and I say that because I went deep into the archives. So like, Glamour was around since 1939. It was first kind of named, it was the first wholly owned Condé Nast publication. It was named Glamour of Hollywood. In 1941, when the world started going to war, they changed the tagline for the girl with the job. And it became this feminist cry for women going to the workplace. And I took all old issues to Boston with me recently. Um, I was interviewing Lisa McGee, who's like this Irish woman behind Derry Girls. And, uh, oh, which is so good. <laughs> Honestly, she's so good. So good. But I, and I actually gave her a lot of the copies. So I was taking these archive issues up and I was reading them on the train to Boston before I met Lisa. And in like 1941, 1942, they follow these women that are working in Rockefeller Center. Wow. And they're doing these jobs. And it sounds normal now, but it was so progressive to be a magazine to follow working women and for its tagline to be for the girl with a job. And it dated in this national cry for like women to go to the workplace. But it had this history where, like, it was the first place to ever discuss the world, like, of domestic violence. It, Gloria Steinem was an editor at large. It was the first place to ever pay Andy Warhol for his art. He got wow. off a bus in Penn Station and at age 18, and the first meeting he had was with the creative director of Glamour. Wow. And they walked in and nice. they said, we're going to print, we need somebody to sketch some shoes. I have it in my office. Oh uh, for oh a, an God. issue about shoes. And Andy Warhol, the first thing he's ever been paid for, Glamour paid him to sketch shoes. No way. For a piece of Glamour. Like, it's got this history. And I do think, historically, look, did it get stuff wrong? Yeah, like my team are going through the archives and they're looking at like the pinch test diet from like the 60s. Jeez. And like some of the cover lines in the 90s, you're like, how to please your man. And you're just like no, head in your hand. And going like, Jesus, no. But it also has done amazing things for women in terms of like fighting for them. And for us at the moment, that fight is, is definitely paid leave. I want to talk about fear because you've sort of both mentioned it in your own ways, which is like of trying something new in your 40s. By the way, people use the word multi-hyphenate in like so many settings. You, <laughs> you might define what it means, an author, an actor, Performer, correspondent, a journalist, a columnist. Someone with broccoli rye in her teeth, because right now I literally tequila. have jungle mouth. Wine um, slash tequila enthusiast. Enthusiast. So, actually, before we get into here, I do want to ask you, of all of those roles and those hats, is there, like, one that you're most comfortable in, or that is there one true love? I'm going to go with mom. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh, my God, stop um, it. I, I would just say like, that writer. is not answer. No, I, I'm kidding. I, I always die when I read articles, like, profiling actors, and they're like, but the most important role I take on is mom. <laughs> um, writer. Writer, for sure. I'm a writer before I'm 
anything else. I feel like I'm writing in my head all the time whether or not I put it down on paper or computers. Another story. And we're on strike right now, Writers Guild. I picketed. I did. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Where did you pick it? It's really fun. West 26th Street and like the river. I was okay. practically in New Jersey, but <laughs> I was on like 12th Avenue. But I feel like in my brain, even though I started in magazines and I didn't join, I guess I joined the Writers Guild at 24, so 24 years ago. But I'm always writing little essays or articles and I'm a writer before I'm anything else. Like actress is totally like, I laugh because that's secondary. Really? Um, well, I mean, I love acting, but I'm not really like playing a 13th century queen. You know, I'm, I'm playing, I played a version of myself. I could see you being a 13th century queen. I, <laughs> I could totally That's because I'm pale. I could totally see you being in Bridgerton or something. Have you watched Queen I, Charlotte? Yes, I'm obsessed. <gasps> All of it. I love the Serpent Queen. Yes. Anything period drama. I could give me a know, fucking corset and then I'm like all over it. But you wear corsets walking down like the East Village. Yeah. No, I wear harnesses. I wear yeah. harnesses. But like I, I'm not trying to be an actress. Like I'm not. Mm. I've had a, a but since my show, I got a, a few offers and things. I did like one role that was fun, but I've gotten offers to play like. Literally, I got a thing saying like, will you play this role? And the role was bitchy yoga mom. And I was like, I'm good. I'm not like trying to be famous. I don't really care. I, just, I love my life. I'm happy with like my little world. I don't need to go and be an actress. But um, I don't know. I, I Yes, writer is the answer. It's so like in my veins. I don't know. I, I'm a magazine girl. What's the part of your job, Sam? Because it's so many things at once. You're a leader, you're a manager, you're a storyteller, you're an advocate, you're an activist. Like, if there's one sort of part of it that you feel most in. I love the events. Like, I mm. like being out in the world. And, like, I honestly, I probably spend less time with copy than I have an amazing digital director, I have an amazing executive editor. The part where I, I think drive is the things like Women of the Year. It is like going to DC and doing the events. It's having, sitting down and dinner. Like Editor-in-Chief is, I think, a very different job now than it was mm-hmm. 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Even when I started, so we were in print when, when I started, and I spent an ungodly amount of time looking at copy that would come around to me seven times, and I'm like, is this, is this what we're doing? Now, I think the job of Editor-in-Chief is like, it's almost like a GM in its own way, right? Like you spend a lot of time with HR, you spend a lot of time with commercial, right. you spend a lot of time representing the brand, you spend a lot of time out in the world. And the part that I love the most is being out in the world with people. Like mm-hmm. that's, and, and talking about what we're doing and like, that's my favorite part. You're the you best ex- representation. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are. So They're much. so lucky to have you. Are that's you an extrovert? Oh, 100%. And I'm a, a middle child of two mm. very, Introverted. I'm an Irish triplet, so my mom and dad had the two, the three of us by the time they were like 22. Wow. And they had wow. us really close together. Like, my, there's barely a year between each of us. And my brother and my sister are pretty introverted. And I remember once doing a piece with an Irish magazine. And I was like, oh, I'm an extrovert and I have two introverts, you know, either side. And my brother called me up when the piece and it came out in the national magazine at home. He was like, you know what, Sam? You know what an introvert likes more than anything is being mentioned in a national magazine about being an introvert. <laughs> I was like, so I was like, oh, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an ambivert, which I just what learned the word. Mean? What does that mean? 
it means that you're an extrovert, but you have like a social battery life that's shorter than most people. Mm. And that when you max out socially, you need to fucking go home. Yeah. And so I'm like the first to leave. I love a party, but I'm the first to leave I'm and I'm in my pajamas. I'm an Irish exit. <laughs> a total Irish exit. Love it. I would go early. I'm an adopted Irish exit. Oh, I love an Irish exit. I'm oh. a big fan. You know so what I started what My favorite thing, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I love staying in at the weekend. I go out. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then I'll be on Saturday night just looking for a show. This past Saturday when it was like biblical rain and yes. I was just like, let me watch everything on know, the internet. I know, but I miss late night with the writer's strike. Mm. I miss, mm. I watch. Mm -hmm. Who do you love? I watch Colbert, Fallon, and Kimmel. I tape them all and I watch yeah. them on the elliptical. And I love SNL. I've never missed an episode. It started when I was born. Yeah. And I've been watching it for 48 years. Have you ever I mean, I watched it when I was older, but yeah. Have you ever yeah. hosted SNL? Have I hosted SNL? Yes. You could. No. I think you we need to manifest that. Guys, Sorry, I'm not at the level of happen. hosting Chill. SNL. Let's manifest that. Yes. Let's make it, let's make it a reality. Okay, Just say Oprah. It out loud. Say, say, <laughs> say, let's say it out loud. Okay. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. Back to this idea of fear. In doing this, this was a good, perfect example of being like really scared to do something yeah. and just in that paralysis of like, do I, don't I, do I, don't I, do I jump in? I feel like the exercise of doing it is such a reminder mm -hmm. that the difference between the people who do it and the people yeah. who don't is like just, it's this tiny thin line and you still sit with the fear on the other side for a long time kind of at the table with you until it finally... Can I tell you something about fear? So when I got the job at Condé Nast, they did a press release, which is often normal. And my boss is Anna Winter. And she wrote in this quote that was put out to the world when I got this job. Sam is fearless. And I kind of laughed at it. And it is this word that followed me around so much so that when Irish TV made a documentary about me, they named it fearless. Mm, and every oh time, God. and every time I look at this word that's associated with me, I just say, I'm fucking terrified. Like, I'm not fearless, but I'm scared all the time, but I, I don't let it stop me. But it, it's so interesting, that narrative, like some Anna said it in a press release, and then it became this thing that every time anybody wrote about me, mm. they used this quote, fearless. And then the documentary came out and they called it fearless. And every time I look at it, it makes me smile because it couldn't be more from the actual truth. Oh, see, truth. I think you need to own it. But like I'm terrified. But no, like, I like, I like, like, in a good, like, I'm fearless. Like, yep, I'm they fearless. said it. So yeah, it's yeah, so. it's fearless. But being scared, we talked about this. It's a driver for me. Like, mm. if I was fearless, I'd be so complacent. I'd be like, oh, this is whatever. It's true. Yes. Yeah. And it's also, I think, what you're saying is like, what I'm starting to learn is that it's just this thing that at first stands in front of you, and then can stand next to you, and it'll stand next to you as long as it needs to until it falls away. But it doesn't necessarily just to, like disappear and not exist. Yeah. And the recognition of like, okay, it could still stand next to me as I do this thing until it's gone. Yeah. It's kind of relieving. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna do it anyway. I feel like as long as you don't let fear like debilitate you, mm -hmm. it's, it's totally a fair and fine emotion to have. So I'm very different from you guys. Go on. I actually am fearless. Go on. You are. Because my it. whole family's dead. Like yeah. my grandma died at 47. My mom's sister died at 49, my dad's brother died at 46. Like I grew up in the most morbid, I grew up in like the real Adams family, like yeah, the yeah. real monsters. They talk about death all the time. My parents toured cemeteries the way normal people tour colleges. Shut up. No way. I've just always grown up being like, we're all gonna be dead, fuck fear. Who cares about fear? We're all gonna be dead. 
Like, I really just feel like life is a flash in the pan. Yeah. Why be scared? So I've just never had fear. Do you think that's why you, it's like given you the mandate to try so many things, like be so many things and try so many things? Well, no, because I'm not like an idiot who jumps <laughs> out of planes. No, no, like, no. I'm also the child of Holocaust survivors and I'm not yeah. like, I'm fearless, let's go climb Mount Everest. Yeah. Like, I have major humility about the human body and what it can handle. I'm, I literally can't even run one mile because I'm like a weak piece of shit. Yeah. When I say fearless, I don't mean like physical fearlessness. Yeah. I just mean emotional. Mm. Yeah. Um, so when you, for example, um, had your show for the first time or have taken up these new things, is it accompanied with any fear or no? No, I don't care. Mm. Like, I don't care because I feel we're all going to be dead in 40 years. And so do I guess the thing what we care about I lean into it. I like I like the physical manifestation of fear where I remember getting the job at CNN and my boss at the time asked me before I left London to go in and present to the London Bureau. And I went in. <laughs> I'm a pretty confident person. Mm -hmm. I went in. I hadn't even started the job and they asked me to present to all these correspondents in London mm -hmm. about my new role and what I was going to do. And I went into this room and Christiane Amanpour was literally oh. as far away from you me. <laughs> I started talking, and when I mean to say my physical body absolutely betrayed me, every, I, my legs started shaking, my hands started shaking, sweat was just dripping down my face as I tried to talk. That doesn't happen to me anymore, but I will viscerally always remember that of sweating and shaking in front of Christiane Amanpour because I was so terrified at but what I was doing. Like, yeah, and now it's fun yeah. to look at it. It was not fun, it's not. No, no, no. God. Um, but I, I feel like even now, like there's t times where I'm like scared, but like I lean, I love leaning into mm. the scare. And I, mm. I do think the thing that holds some people back is that you are unique in, yes. the, in the fearlessness. And I love that. And if you could bottle that, people would buy it so much. But <laughs> so true. many people are scared and fearful. But a lot of people, I think, see the fear or feel the fear and they lean away from it, I would rather lean into mm -hmm. it and like get an adrenaline from it and keep going. And that, that I think has helped me su to succeed. I couldn't agree more. And also it's interesting thing to think about what would create like fearlessness versus not. Like what mm -hmm. are we afraid of when we're scared, right? Yeah. And it's like maybe what other people are going to think. Yeah. And if like life is too short, who the hell cares what other yeah. people think? And so like that could be fearlessness or that you're gonna mess up or not good enough. Mm. And it's interesting because when you think about what it could be, then it's like, it's easier to be fearless. Yeah. Like, I don't care what other people think. So or I know it is brain surgery. Like, unless you're an actual brain surgeon, like, some, like, I, I had a conversation with my team recently. They got really upset about something that went wrong with something. And I was like, nobody's lives are in anybody's hands. Like, nobody's a doctor here. This is great. And it didn't work out. And we're gonna move on from it. But, like, it's not the end of the world here. Like nobody's sick, nobody's dying. Something messed up on a shoot, whatever right. it is. Like it's just perspective. It's perspective. Yeah, I feel like my fear rests more in things I can't control. Yeah. Like my 20 year old getting in a car with a bunch mm, of kids. Yes. I don't know, if, I mean, she wouldn't get in a car with a drunk driver, but yeah. like, yeah. I don't fucking know what this no, person, no. you know, like that's the shit that scares me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is everybody's favorite? That. Yeah. I, I love the brick chicken. Oh, I know the chicken mm. was really good. I, I, I know it's a stereotype. Mm. What happens at a Sunday roast? Sunday roast is like um, 
A lot about the sides as well. Sunday roast is like a dinner in the middle of the day, so you can go and you can get a roast chicken with all the sides, Yorkshire pudding, mm, um, Yorkshire potato pudding. gratin, like everything. Wow. Or you can get a roast beef. I have tried them all in New York. The best one is new. It's Hawksmoor. Hawksmoor. It's great. Cool. Yeah. And as a citizen of Ireland, have you yeah, been you Sunday roast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow Love Dublin on yeah. Instagram, and they said brunch is over. It will never be over for me because ultimately I'm a New Yorker, and yeah. brunch is my life and my yeah. half my identity. But they said Sunday roast is the new brunch. Yeah, it is. Wow. Okay. And it's also Fox giving you more time. So because brunch starts at eleven, if you're truly hungover. Sunday roast can start at 2 p.m. Mm. Right, mm. right. I just, I'm too old to be hung, and I've never been hungover, but I'm too old to, like, I don't, I can't sleep that late with menopause. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I don't fucking know. How do you feel about social media? Is this something that you enjoy doing? I think, well, I have three teenagers. Um, I think there's a very dark, pernicious side where people are measuring themselves and their bodies and filters yeah. and everyone is the ambassador of themselves as opposed to their real selves. It's just sort of a construct. But I, I love watching my friends' lives. I love watching Samantha's travels or <laughs> my friends' kids grow up or whatever. Like I, I feel connected to people through it and I think as long as you kind of indoctrinate your children that it's all bullshit and nothing is real then it's okay. I, I think you just have to sort of couch everything and train your kids before you just like yeah. hand them a phone. My friend just found a letter that she wrote to us when we were teenagers of, we had just got a landline in my house and my other friend, she was like, I don't have to just call down to your house to figure out if you who, where you are. Isn't there a joy of having growing up without it? Oh. Right? Like, right? I don't think so. I was really bored a lot. Oh, I really? Loved, I like the joy. Of I that. had a. I had so much boredom. I mean, I played in with New York York? City. No, I would, when I was out, I was like <laughs> always enthralled, and my parents gave me a tremendous amount of rope. Yeah. Like I was all over the place by myself at nine years old I with no say, cell phone. What, what time did you start clubbing? Like, what age were you to start? Clubbing I was clubbing at thirteen. Shut up. I was at the Saint at thirteen. <laughs> Three nights a week. Thirteen. Oh yeah. So life is boring to you by the time you're eighteen. Yeah. Kind of. Like right. that's why so I wanted to just media. get married and yeah. have kids. But I was bored a lot when I was home. Like when mm. I had to be home, I would make up stories. I would make my Barbies fuck each other and oh scissor. God. Did and you like, start writing that? Just in my head. But I was bored. Like I think I would have liked having all that. I got my first phone. I mean, Ireland was a bit behind America. I walked into college in September 1999, oh God, university. And I got my first mobile phone, Nokia 2210, and I got my first email address, because Ireland really was early not- It's really early to have a mobile phone. But 1999 is so- It's like a flip phone. Not, really? Not, yeah. yeah. You were advanced adopters. And I was just like, this. what is this new digital world? But my whole teenage years, sneaking into clubs, Irish clubs are not New York clubs, <laughs> or like, you know, running into pubs or whatever, like none of that was documented in right. any way. Oh, and I'm I so kind lucky. of love that. Yeah. Right? I'm so lucky none of that time was documented. But how do you feel about social media now? Because it's something that is sort of like inherent to your job, mm. the public part of it. Is it something you It's so interesting okay because it's like it was when I was at CNN, it was it was my job. It was like the head of social media. I wrote all the social media rules and how journalists were supposed to use it and we used it for news gathering and it was honestly a massive driver in my career. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like I used it 
from my own like I post fun stuff from work we just had a cover out today I post all of that like it's still not real though like it's it, no it's but a, I love your account oh thank I you, love I you. Yeah, thank you I mean I love it like I share my nieces and nephews and they're the adventures are so, so cute that's my cute. favorite thing I share a lot on social but it it is not the totality of my life it cannot replace sitting down here and having a conversation and wine and real chats with you guys we could meet each other tonight and take one selfie and then post it on instagram and then not see each other for the whole night we've sat here for hours like having actual chats like it's i love it for the joy you can get out of the humor that you share or the like family stuff i share but it's it's not real life in a major way and the best part of dinner or my favorite at least dessert wow this looks so good. This is the mochi bomochini. Mochi. It's our play of ferro roche. So it's made with rice cake, Nutella. Ferro roche? Yes. But it's made with rice cake. Soft serve. Soft serve yakult. One of my favorite. It's with crispy chicken skin on the top. That's like a sweet punch. Thank you. Wow. I'm a huge, you know, I'm like a dessert girl. No matter I'm a cheese girl. I love a cheese bake. I love a cheese seven days a week. Love, me too. What's your favorite? Fondue, actually, oh. is my number one. But yeah, I don't eat any dessert anymore. I lost it. If my kids make Duncan Hunt's brownies, mm. I will eat that. Or I, sometimes I have gelato, but I just don't like like a cake or a donut anymore. Yeah. Wow. I used to eat donuts all the time. I just now I'm, I, I would pick know. a cheese made over. Something happened hormonally. Um, I'm gonna try a little bit. I'm gonna try it. are legit, like, um, okay, but you were also saying something really, you are a public person who people, both of you feel like they know, but in so many ways, like they can only know a part of you yeah. or there are parts of you that you feel like are either misunderstood or people really don't know about your personality or who you are. It's a slice of who I am on social. It's not the full cake because we're eating dessert. No, but it's not like it's not like I'm a totally different person to who I am on social versus who I am in real life. It's they, just, what are they missing? The depth, I suppose. I don't mm. know. Like you, like the the you know. But suppose if you follow and you're like seeing photos of me with my nieces and nephew, you're getting a lot of joy and emotion mm. in that. Mm. But like no, like the depth of it, you know. Yeah. What about you? I would say for me, it's my like my friends. Like I have my five friends, and I don't really post them because they're shy yeah. and they don't want to be like I don't. I just we hang out all the time and we don't. Yeah. Post necessarily. Totally. Like I have these five friends who are the godmothers of my children, yes. and I don't post them. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's a lot of memes like that, like you and your friends go out, never best friend. Like you yeah, never right. take a photo, yeah. right? Like yeah, never, yeah. never. Yeah. I would never. My friends also, we're not going anywhere fabulous. Yeah. We're not even going to a great restaurant. They're in my house. Yeah, totally. We're opening a bottle of wine. We're watching like some fucking show, mm. or we're like eating more cheese yeah. than. You know, cowgirl creamery can offer. Okay, my dessert question for the two of you yeah. is if you could go to dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? You could fill a table, maybe a few people. A table? Two, mm. three people. Oh, that's such a good question. I'm really into Kate Blanchett. Mm. I've never met Love her, her. but oh. she's my favorite actress. Yeah. And Jeffrey Rush is my favorite actor. Mm. My favorite male actor. But the thing is, they say don't meet your heroes because yeah. sometimes you're disappointed because they're cunty. You know what I, I feel mean? like Kate Blanche is not, and she is very. You've met her. Yeah, she's amazing. Like. Yeah, I feel like she'd be super cool. I don't know. 
I haven't really met heroes of mine that I've been disappointed yeah. by. Everyone's just like been nice and awesome. But. Who's at your dinner table? I'm just gonna pick some hot guys or something. Like I'm just yeah. like, I know, but like, yeah. great, yeah. We could do the intellectuals and stuff another day. Um, who would we pick? Who, like, well, my favorite band is Nine Inch Nails, and now I've become friends with yeah. Trent Reznor's wife, Mary Queen Reznor. My last question, as we eat our delicious Sunday that's this. dripping over the edges. I don't even know what this is. It's so good. Um, if you could have one food for the rest of your life, like a desert island food, and we're not talking about health. Pizza. Cuisine, or like, is it a cuisine, um, or is it a type of food? Pizza. Pizza's a great answer. Like Pizza, an answer. and if money were no object, with like white truffles up on that bitch. Yeah. Mm. You're on a desert island. There's no money. I know true truffle purists would say don't mix it with the pizza because the tomato would cancel out and override, but I would say like just extra shavings of the white. Put it on. If white truffle, anyway. unlike no. caviar, like I think if caviar were 10 cents, I don't think people would give a shit. Like I do yeah. like caviar, but I like all no, the fixins. Like I want the blini and the onions and the lemon. But if truffle, white truffles were 10 cents, I would eat it every single day in an mm, omelet, on any fucking human flesh. Like I would eat it every day. It has nothing to do with the money. You know what? It's a, it's a toss up between pasta and steak. Steak? Yeah, I Ooh. love a steak. I know, I'd probably be like- Sunday roast. Literally, it'd be congested. I'd literally be congested for- <laughs> That would not- You're stuck in my It doesn't life. matter. But like for like, I just, there's something so tasty about steak. Thank you. So much fun having dinner with you today. You too. You too. Thank, Thank you so much for sitting down with me over dinner tonight. This was so much fun. As they say in LA, prayer hands. <laughs> what is going? What is that? This like, is so much you. fun. Namaste. Namaste okay, away namaste. from me. Thank it was you. great fun. The food was so good. There was way too much of it. It was so good. Way I know. too much. You guys, we had like a six course meal. It was actually. <laughs> That was so much fun. Jill and Sam are incredible. Thank you all so much for joining us over dinner tonight. It means the world that you listened in. And because our dinner table is big enough for everyone, I'd love to invite you to invite a friend to our dinners by sending a link to the show. Follow the show so you can get new episodes every Tuesday at dinner time. We only have two episodes left this season, so you won't want to miss it. You can also join our community of listeners on Instagram at Over Dinner Tonight. We post behind the scenes shots and showcase all of our delicious dishes and nuggets of wisdom from our guests. Over Dinner Tonight is produced in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lesby, Danielle Roth, Whitney Shepard, and Morgan Foos. Our production team in New York is Joseph O'Malley and Samantha Cohen. See you next week.